How do you mean that? Well, I mean that there are the colors and the beauties, the designs, the beautiful way things appear. People themselves, dull people, but I thought dull, appear fascinating, interesting, mysterious, wonderful. But that's only the beginning. Welcome to Strange People, Weird Worlds. Let's get this show started. Now we are recording. Well, uh, everybody just missed the little tidbit. So welcome, everybody. Welcome to Strange People, Weird World. Weird World. Ooh, I think I just said it like on the uh, like on the intro right there. You did. You were very close. That was, yeah. that was astonishing. That's got to be weird. Did you just hear that like twice in a row? Um, we've never Sorry. done a welcome to Strange People, Weird World so close to the beginning of the show, I think. No, people are probably going to be like, what's What happening? the hell's going on? Well, if you're wondering what the hell's going on, Anya and I just um, recorded, but not recorded, about you know five or ten minutes of us talking. Uh, we thought we were recording, but we were not. No, we weren't. So that's what happens when you don't pay attention. Although, I, to be fair, I was recording the first time, but Anya had internet problems, and we had to go to a new Zoom meeting and all that. So it's been a, it's been an eventful eventful interaction with technology. Yeah. So you you know none of the small talk we had today. Do you get no small talk? No, no small talk. talk. None for no you. No small talk for you. No small talk for you. I, I will yeah. I will wish you all well because I, I did wish you all well and hope you're all doing well. But that's all you get. It's all you you know nothing of the last week of my life and you you're not gonna. Nope. It's all happening. And I was gonna share a little tidbit, but you know what? I think I'm gonna save it for the next episode. Saving it. Saving it. You're not missing anything with me. It's all house construction. Yeah, same. I haven't done much except schoolwork and finals. We're pretty boring. You yeah, guys cry. are. You guys are our only entertainment. And you don't even talk to us. I know, and it's kind of heartbreaking. So well, we are a little stir crazy, and we are here in this weird world with you. Yep, and we are a little. I'm a little weirder today. It's so. we're a little extra weird. A little, you know. I've had two cups of coffee because the first cup of coffee, I was drinking it. I was out back, and my roommate's dog came running on over, and I was so excited, and she knocked over my cup of coffee, and so I had to make another cup. Dan, Anya, we just told them no stories, and now you gave them one. I couldn't help you, it. You coddled this goddamn audience. <laughs> People love it. You coddled this audience. All right, well, you missed the discussion, but Anya is starting things up today with her little mini-sode for you. Yes, yes, yes. I'm taking the reins, and I'm taking us to a little place called Poland. Ooh, Poland. Ooh, yes, we're going across the sea. Uh, the, land oh. of, the land of sausage? Land of sausage, land of but sausages. also... Land of vampires. <laughs> of what? Vampires. Oh, I don't know why they sound like that. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought vampires always came from a, a vania of sorts. Nope, we would be goddamn surprised because my research landed me in Poland. Oh, wow. I'm interested. I'm interested. So, everybody grab your garlic stocks because today we're talking about medieval vampires. I was just thinking, like that is where all like all the black metal bands and stuff are up there in those those Icelandic regions and stuff. Is, I mean, is Poland up there sense. with them? No, I'm not even sure. I'm second guessing myself. Where is Poland? 
You know, I'm really side note really quickly. I saw a video today on people ragging on America because they're like, do they not teach geography in America? And you were just like, where's Poland? Yeah, no. they. I mean, I guess they do, but not very well. No, it's you barely brush over it yeah, for like they, one week in class. You'll be hard-pressed to find an American who can name all 50 states. I can name all 50 states. Can you? Yeah. Not as easy. I'd like to believe so. Well, see, Miranda and I were watching Friends, and I think it was Friends, but you had to write as many states down as you could in six minutes. And neither one of us got to 50. Oh, I kind of want to try that now. Challenge accepted. I'll tell you, everybody, take this challenge. Write as many states as you can, whether you're American or not. I don't care. Write as many U.S. states as you can on a piece of paper in six minutes, and then uh, take a piece of Take a picture and uh, DM it to us. We'll see who's who's the winner. I'll do the challenge and I'll post it to the strange people story and we'll see how many I catch up. Yeah, Miranda beat me. No surprise, but... <laughs> Anyhow, all right, let's get into these Polish vampires. Anyhow, all right, so we're in Poland, everybody, and we are in a little village of... Uh, I'm going to butcher the fuck out of this name. Gorzajka. Village of Gorzajka. Ooh. It almost sounds like, I want to say Gorgonzola, but I know it's not that. <laughs> <laughs> I want cheese. Uh, <laughs> so a couple years back, uh, some researchers were astonished to find three graves dating back to the 13th and 14th century. These graves were discovered along the small town's edge, which normally is the site for war veterans. Now, there was something weird, though, about these graves and the corpses that they found within these graves. Because these corpses were not of your normal corpse. They were mangled and displayed holes within their spines. Ooh. They were vampire burials. So. When you say holes in their spines, like... Like somebody bit their spines or somebody jabbed a wooden stake through this thing and they have a hole in its spine. So it's weird because, like, I saw the pictures and when we post it, I'll post it up on the gram. Uh, But it's like a perfect hole in this, like, in this spine. Perfect hole in this bone. So they said that it could have been a stake, but I think, I don't know. Like, I was looking at it and I was trying to figure out, like, how the fuck you'd get a perfect circle like that in a bone. Because even if you were to drive something into it, it would crack. Yeah. It literally took, like, it looks like someone took a drill bit and drilled into the hole. Hmm. But they didn't have drills back in the 13th century, or that we know of. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, So practices meant to subvert evil were common in post-medieval Poland and were used on anyone who was thought to become a vampire or who who was already one. So the locals used sharp instruments uh, to bind the neck and sometimes the abdomen of these corpses into the ground. And they believe that this would then damage the body enough to where the vampire would no longer be able to like rise from their grave. Uh, out of the three mutilated skeletons found within these shallow graves on the side of this teeny little Poland town, the archaeologists found the female had the worst punishment of them all. Are you ready for this? This shit's crazy. Her knees were forcefully broken before they were bar- or before they buried her face down and Ow. pinned her head with stones. Ow. One of the male skeletons was found decapitated and dismembered. And now this was just three of the corpses that have been found. I mean, uh, I'm going to get into a little bit 
a little bit. And I actually want to do an episode on it because as I was doing this research, I was like, oh, this can go like deep. But there was actually, I guess, a lot of accused vampirism back in the 13th, 14th century. And so this was actually pretty common. Hmm. And this was right after the Roman Catholics took over. And so paganism was getting pushed out. Yet the Roman Catholics were still using some of these like pagan burial rituals, which was a little silly because like, oh, you say paganism is not a thing and that you shouldn't be doing it, but then you're using these burial rituals. But just in case. Right. I mean, it takes us back to uh, what was that one with the Romans? What holiday was that? Valentine's Day. Yeah, I'm trying to remember the term for it. Um, but literally, I mean, the Roman Catholics have always just been ripping off paganism. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's that's the move. You know, you want to get people in, so you give them some incentives to come join your thing. It's not so bad. Hey, we got this, too. It's kind of like your thing, but, you know. Right, and they draw them in. They're like, ah, just kidding. We yeah. are super sheltered. You will now um, feel guilty for the rest of your life, Catherine. <laughs> oh. Now... Why did they consider these individuals vampires in the first place? Uh, After archaeologists examined and analyzed these bones a little bit closer, they found out that the skeletons were more uh, more likely to suffer from kyphosis, which is a condition that gives them an exaggerated rounding of the back. So think of Hunchback Notre Dame. Okay. Uh, But interesting enough, the other man, the other male bones that were found, so there's three found. One was female, two were men. The other male bones that were found, they were in completely healthy condition, so he didn't suffer from kyphosis. However, he was buried with his head confined by two stones, and he was the one that was found with a perfect hole in his spine. Huh. So it's like, I want to know what they're doing. So pitch. So they're really trying to like incapacitate these bodies that would potentially come back up after them, it seems like. Mm-hmm. So... Picture this, uh, they, they take Comey and they make him uh, lay over across something. And before they start bashing his head in with skulls, they take a really long, sharp spear rod, metal type pole, and they heat it up. I was just about to say, and they put it, okay, that I could, that, I could see that going through bones. Stab it through the guy so he's stuck there. And then proceed to bash him in with said rocks and whatnot. Oh, Jesus Christ. Welcome to Strange People Weird Gore Fest. (laughs) I know, we've kind of been a little gory. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, quarantine, what are you doing to us? Now, now we're going to shift gears to Drosko, which is found in northwestern Poland, and it's a tiny little town. And in Drosko, 285 human skeletons were found buried amongst the land. Now, six of those remains were vampire burials. And so it's interesting because the Drosko burials were originally found, and it was theorized at the time this was the only place where they had found these type of burials, and I'll kind of explain what it looked like, but it wasn't until the last, I think it was like two or three years ago when they found the other graves in Gorgonzola. We're going to say Gorgonzola. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not supporting that. Sorry, Poland. (laughs) Gorsaika. Call it the the G-spot. Yeah, the G-spot. You know, the uh, pretty girl was found at the (laughs) G-spot. So, going back to Drasco. 
Six of the remains out of the 285 human skeletons were vampire burials, and uh, these vampire burials were a little bit different than the ones found in the G-spot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, make, that makes for great content right there. <laughs> um, so among these six burials, one was an adult male, three were adult females, one was an adolescent girl, and one skeleton was of an unknown sex. Uh, now, most of the remains were pinned down with large stones under their chins or with a sickle going across their neck, and these tools were intended to prevent the dead from gnawing at and feeding on the living. So what would happen on these burials is they would bury them, they'd be dead, and so then they would take the uh, the iron part of a sickle, like the actual sickle part, yeah. and they would lodge it into their neck and into the ground as like almost like a... Um, like a choker. Jesus. And there was a few female bodies where they had found the sickle had been laying across her pelvis and her neck. And then sometimes they would take bricks and they would shove the bricks into the mouth and they would like literally pin them into the ground. Wow. Yeah. Uh, if, if anybody's wondering what a sickle is, uh, it's a, like a farming tool, kind of like picture what the Grim Reaper holds. Um, but yeah, just that kind of rainbow shaped curved blade. They're putting it over somebody's neck, like a collar, in the, but sticking it into the ground. It's almost like you would slice your neck, or, or they're digging it into the neck, I guess. And they believed that by doing these practices, because, you know, at the time, there was all these tales in 13th, 14th century Poland, uh, in general, there was these tales that the vampires could, you know, rise from the dead, and that they can be killed, and so they believed that these practices would inhibit that rising from the dead, and that if they were to come... Um, cause vampires, they can't, I think it's, uh, what was it, iron or steel? I don't know. It's, uh, like the bullets. I, I silver. Thought, that's what it is. I thought that was werewolves. Oh, is it? Yeah, no. Werewolves is silver. But, uh, <sighs> garlic, crosses, you know, the sign of the cross, and then, you know, wooden stake to the heart. That's the vampires. So I was reading as somewhere as I know, that it could, they, huh? I'm, I'm sure it could cross, uh, you know. Cross references. Cross reference, depending on the culture and society. I'm more familiar with your Vanian vampires. I'm not too familiar with Polish vampires. You know, the Pennsylvania way, vampires. Both vampires were not appreciated back then. Not appreciated at all. If you were a witch or a vampire, you were having a rough, rough life. Although if you were yeah. really a rich or a vampire, you were probably just sitting back watching us kill each other, being like dumbasses. Yeah, because let's be real here. I mean, you ain't kidding. They claim if if you're a real like powerful witch or vampire, you, you're not letting some dumb fucking people get get the upper hand on you. No, are you kidding me? You're probably the one that's burning them. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the gag of it all. Right. The, the lead prosecutor is a vampire. And, like, as, like, the night before you're about to be murdered, they come down and they're like, ha, ha, I tricked you. I am the they're vampire. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> I've been bamboozled. <laughs> but that is the mini episode on medieval vampires found in Poland. Oh, wow. Wow. I, I mean, that's just, oh, gosh. You feel, I know. feel bad for the people that they had to go through that. I know the one lady that was found uh, and the one skeleton found amongst the three graves, the fact that her knees were broken and then they pinned her into the ground with stones. Oh, that's awful. Like, 
They were, I mean, medieval times was, that was already kind of like yeah. a gruesome torture era. I couldn't even imagine if you were getting prosecuted for being a possible vampire or witch. Oh, gosh, yeah. And just, you'd like and to. And they got the crazy-ass Catholic church, you know, trying to kill you too, saying like, oh, by the power of Jesus. And it's like, what? Oh, yeah, awful. Awful Terrible. time to be like. Good, you know, I think it's a good reminder for anybody who's feeling pretty bad about being stuck inside from COVID and think we're living in a bad time or 2020 is such an awful year. Well, there you go. You're not having your knees smashed and uh, accused of being vampire while a metal rod is shoved through your body somewhere. We're not living in the medieval times, guys. We are pretty lucky. We're doing all right. Even Um, though it's my favorite time era and if I could, I'd totally go back and like, teleport and time travel back to that time and live in it mm. i mean do you, if you're if i was guaranteed to be like some sort of upper class at least but i don't even like to be like a little farmer peasant no you would just, just living in the valley no i'm joking it'd no. be fucking awful <laughs> the worst the worst oh. maybe like a powerful witch oh gosh Rome's lands. That'd be cool, you know. I'd go back. I'd be a vampire. See, but what I find interesting, and I just want to kind of like, you know, throw my little two controversial sense in on this, is I definitely think vampires were real. I think they still are real. Because it's just like, where do all these stories come from? You never know. And every single uh, movie that you see that's kind of like, um, about tales or legends and myths, yeah. they always say that these stories start out as true. And mm-hmm. that through the years, people say that they're tales and myths and legends because it's just based off of that fear. Yeah, you, you never know. I'm um, doing carpentry, you know, over the last week. Anytime I had a sharp stick in my hand, I'd ask Miranda if she was a vampire just in case, you know, take, take you out now. But apparently she's not, she says. She claims. Uh. She claims. She claims. Does she eat garlic? Yeah, she does eat garlic. Okay. She okay. does eat garlic. I, uh, I was dating this guy for a very short amount of time, and he got sick, and I recommended that he eat raw garlic, and that was the last time we ever talked. I think Dang. he's a vampire. <laughs> you know who could have been a vampire? That, um, that story you told me of the person who walked up to the bar really nicely dressed and dropped the $100 bill. Oh, yeah, and with the eyes Twitching like yeah, that? Yeah, because, you know, you think long longevity, like long-life vampire, You and again, I'm, I'm kind of referring to movies and stuff, too, but you think of kind of a rich, classy guy. You know, like, they've got money, oh, yeah. they've been around, you know. They, Twilight. Yeah, Twilight, <laughs> I guess, other things, other vampire movies. I've seen a lot of vampire movies, but unfortunately my teen, my tween, my train, oh my god, Anya, teen dream brain just jumps to Twilight. Yeah, and unfortunately, that, yeah. Anyhow, my turn. Switching brains to you. So I, I definitely thought I was picking something light and nice and like just kind of funny because that's how the podcast was supposed to be. And, <laughs> and you know, it, it kind of is. But there, there's a little bit of death. Just it's a little death sprinkled in. Okay. But I tried. You know, I wasn't aiming for death or mystery this time. I wasn't aiming for anything ominous. Just I was just gonna do. Let's just do a fun, you know, weird happening. And there, there's just a little death sprinkled in. Okay. 
Okay, just a little sprinkle dinkle. You can take a little sprinkle. We're talking about the Boston Molassacre. What? The Great Molasses Flood. Boston Molasses oh, no. Disaster. The Great Boston Molasses Flood. Flood. <laughs> or my favorite, the Boston Molassacre. I like that one. Yeah. I guess Molassacre does imply a little bit of death. But, you know. Anyhow. Hit me. Oh, um, so everybody missed my little preempt earlier. For these little mini-episodes, I will just be reading straight from Wikipedia on everything we do. Um, call it Wiki Wiki Wednesdays. So, work it, work it, work it. The Boston Molassacre occurred January 15th, 1919, in the North End neighborhood of Boston, Massachusetts. One of the 50 states just gave you a hint for the game. Uh, a large storage tank filled with 2.3 million gallons, weighing approximately 13,000 short tons. Jesus Christ. Or 12,000 tons. I don't know what the fucking difference is. Anyhow, a lot of molasses. Tank burst, and the re- resultant wave of molasses rushed through the streets at an estimated 35 miles per hour, killing 21 and injuring 150. The event entered local folklore, and residents claimed for decades afterwards that the area still smelled of molasses on hot summer days. Wow. I don't mind that smell. I, I feel like you'd probably get sick of it. But, I mean... I- could be worse, yeah. It does have that sickly sweet smell, though, and I'm thinking about, like, really, really hot day. Yeah. There's Ooh. there's a, a sugar beet factory in Boise, Idaho, or outside of Boise, Idaho. Um, if you didn't know, you can make sugar from beets. Most of your raw, like, crappy, like, basic white table sugar, that's from beets. <laughs> I, th- I believe that's right. But they, they definitely make sugar from beets. And um, this factory, it smells, and it's it's very sweet smell, but it's still, it's so strong and just thick in the air. It's it's gross. You, do, you just don't like it. It's kind of like the Russell Stover's factory out in Montrose. I don't think I've ever smelled that. Like, the whole town just smells like chocolate. Huh. Like a whole block around yeah. it. See, I mean, it sounds good, but I could definitely see it getting bad, for sure. For sure. So... The disaster occurred at the Purity Distilling Company facility at 529 Commercial Street near Keeney Square. Uh, Molasses can be fermented to produce ethanol, the active ingredient in alcoholic beverages, and a key component in munitions. I'm going to skip a little bit bit of stuff here. We don't need to learn things like that. (laughs) The molasses tank stood 50 feet tall. And it was 90 feet in diameter and contained as much as 2.3 million gallons or 8.7 million liters for you uh, everywhere else but Americans. Uh, On January 15th, 1919, the temperature had risen above 40 degrees, climbing rapidly from the frigid temperatures of the preceding days. And the previous day, a ship had delivered a fresh load of molasses, which was warmed to reduce the viscosity for transfer, possibly due to thermal expansion of the older cold molasses inside. The tank 
burst open and collapsed at approximately 12.30 p.m. So basically what they're saying is they pumped a bunch of hot molasses into a bunch of old cold molasses, and you have a violent reaction. Yeah, it's kind of stupid. Yeah. I mean, it's like putting ice-cold water into a hot glass. And, you don't do and that. And it breaks. And it just breaks. So tank bursts open. Witnesses reported that they felt the ground shake and heard a roar as it collapsed, a long rumble similar to the passing of an elevated train. Others reported a tremendous crashing and a deep growling, a thunderclap-like bang and machine gun-like sounds as rivets shot out of the tank into the air. Oh my god. Now, molasses has a density of 1.4 tones per cubic meter which means weighs 12 pounds a gallon. It's 40% more dense than water. So it had a great deal of potential energy. The collapse translated this energy into a wave of molasses 20 feet, 25 feet high or 8 meters high at its peak, moving at 35 miles an hour or 55 kilometers an hour, the wave was of sufficient force to drive steel panels of the burst tank against the girders of the adjacent Boston Elevated Railway's Atlantic Avenue structure and tip over a streetcar momentarily off of its L's track. Jesus. Stephen Puello describes how nearby buildings were swept off their foundations and crushed. Several blocks were flooded to a depth of two to three feet. Puello quotes to a Boston report, Molasses, waist deep, covered the street and swirled and bubbled about the wreckage. Here and there struggled to form. Whether it was animal or human being was impossible to tell. Only an upheaval, a thrashing about and sticky mesh showed where any life was. Horses died like so many flies on sticky flypaper. I'm sorry, I didn't know there was going to be animal death too, people. Oh my god! The more they struggled, the deeper in the mess they were ensnared. Human beings, men and women, suffered likewise. So what this man just basically said is you could see a figure struggling in the molasses. You couldn't even tell if it was human or animal. You could just see something buried in this. Wow. I really thought I was doing a light episode when I started this topic, guys. Oh, my God. And I thought mine was dark. Jesus, right? You know, the thing is, when you see these online, like, it's like a little paragraph. And they're like, oh, weird story. This time in, this once in Boston, this happened. Ha, ha, ha. They didn't tell me about all the death until you start researching it. Oh, my God. I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to tell my viewers about kneecaps getting broken and people right? getting nailed to the ground. You're over here like... Animal death? Human death? Oh, gosh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The Boston Globe reported that people were, quote, picked up by a rush of air and hurled many feet. Those are the lucky ones, I imagine, getting hurled away from it. Yeah. Others had debris hurled at them from the rush of sweet-smelling air. And again, rivets were popping out of this thing like a machine gun. If any of those hit anything. You're done. Yeah. A truck, Fun, son. a truck was picked up and hurled into Boston Harbor. Uh, and that might still be good. 
<laughs> After the initial wave, the molasses became viscous, exasperated by the cold temperatures, trapping those caught in the waves, making it even more difficult to rescue them. About 150 people were injured, and 21 people and several horses were killed. Some were crushed and drowned by the molasses or debris that carried within. The wounded people included horses, dogs, and coughing fits became one of the more common ailments after the initial blast. Edward Park wrote of one child's experience in a 1983 article for the Smithsonian. Anthony Distasio, walking homeward with his sisters from Michelangelo School, was picked up by the wave and carried, tumbling on its crest almost as though he were surfing. Then he grounded and the molasses rolled him like a pebble as the wave diminished. He heard his mother call his name and couldn't answer. His throat was so clogged with the smothering goo. He passed out, then opened his eyes to find his three, three of his four sisters staring at him. No word on the fourth sister, I guess. I'm not sure. But that's intense. Yeah. I, oh, I, I can't. What a visual, you know. Molasses going down your throat. You can't breathe. That brings on, like, so one of the metaphors I always use is, like, slower than molasses in January in Colorado. Yeah. And uh, now I have a new term. I'm going to say it's going to be slower than molasses in the Great Boston Massacre. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so it's coming out hot molasses in a big tidal wave, and it's going into cool temperature air and just slowing down and becoming more viscous. So this kid's riding on top of a wave and rolls down, and it's like wrapping him like a blanket as he's rolling down the... Oh, that had to be awful. Well, at least little Anthony Distasio survived. Well, that's good. At least you didn't give us, like, a death count. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I don't know if I want The aftermath. First to the scene were 116 cadets under the direction of Lieutenant Commander H.J. Copeland from USS Nantucket, a training ship of the Massachusetts Nautical School, now the Massachusetts Maritime Academy, that was docked at a nearby playground pier, they ran several blocks toward the accident and entered into knee-deep, sticky mess to pull out the sur- survivors, while others worked to keep the curious from getting in the way of the rescuers. The Boston police, Red Cross, Army, and Navy personnel soon arrived. Some nurses from the Red Cross dived into the molasses. These badass bitches. <laughs> I can just see them, like, going in. Right. Dolphin dive straight. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> and the last is too. I mean, oh, oh, that's so, so thick. So thick. And uh, while it's others... It's thicker than honey. Yeah. Oh, so thick. While others tended to the injured, keeping them warm and feeding the exhausted workers. Many of these people worked through the night, and the injured were so numerous that doctors and church surgeons set up a makeshift hospital in, in a nearby building. Rescuers found it difficult to make their way through the syrup to help the victims, and four days elapsed before they stopped searching. Many of the dead were so glazed over molasses that they were hard to recognize. Other victims were swept into Boston Harbor and were found three to four months after the disaster. 
Local residents brought a class action lawsuit against the United States Industrial Alcohol Company, which had brought which had bought Purity Distilling in 1917. It was one of the first clash action suits in Massachusetts and is considered a milestone in paving the way for modern corporate regulation. The company claimed that the tank had been blown up by anarchists. Oh my god. But some of the alcohol produced was to be used in making munitions, but a court-appointed auditor found USIA responsible after three years of hearings, and the company ultimately paid out 628000 in damages. Uh, adjusted to today, that would be $9.26 million. Uh, relatives of those killed reportedly received around 7000 per victim, equivalent of getting about hundred grand. Wow. Cleanup. Cleanup crews use salt water from a fireboat fireboat to wash away the molasses and a sand to absorb it. And the harbor was brown with molasses until summer. The cleanup in the immediate area took weeks, with several hundred people contributing to the effort, and it took longer to clean the rest of Greater Boston and its suburbs. Uh, rescue workers, cleanup crews, and sightseers had tracked molasses through the streets and spread it to the subway platforms, seats inside trains, streetcars, pay telephones, headsets, and all the way into their own houses. Everything that a Bostonian touched was sticky. Ugh. What an awful life for a while. Oh, my God. I'm not... Oh... I already don't like it when I get, like, syrup and honey on me, so I couldn't even have that. Oh. Yeah. Uh, uh, today they have a, a kid's little baseball field built over the area, uh, a little memorial, stuff like that. A little, little thing, a little plaque and things. Well, your episode was about as heavy as that molasses. Oh, I thought it was a light one. No. <laughs> I thought... I thought it was a good time, feel good, you know, we got into a sticky situation type of deal. <laughs> no, no. Oh, man, sorry, viewers, I guess our show's turned a little morbid. Yeah, welcome to death world, morbid people. <laughs> Strange deaths and yeah. weird mysteries. Yeah, oh, oh, man. I'll, I'll have Leanne redo our logo to... to, to Bloody skulls and broken. I like the Grim kneecaps. Reaper on there. Yeah, Grim Reaper. Oh well, that's that's that, everyone. I feel like I need to take a shower right now. I feel so, so sticky. You're stuck at home with your Netflix. Uh, you're not covered in burning hot, scalding molasses. That's actually on its way to freezing and becoming hard molasses. You're not getting your kneecaps busted up. Just pulls shoved through your spine. I think we got a pretty good life in our modern world. I think we're doing all right. I do have some pretty wicked cuts on my fingers and thumb right now. You know those annoying ones that just every time you bend your fingers, oh. or they're just, I'm doing work, so they're rubbing up against things constantly. Mm-hmm. And I tried to put some super glue over them the other day, and the super glue cap was stuck on the thing. And it's in this, like, this plastic kind of squeeze bottle. And as I was trying to squeeze off the top, I noticed it was getting loose. And out of the bottle comes an actual tube, like an old school tube of, like, squeeze tube. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, I'll pull out the squeeze tube. I can cut off the bottom and I'll get a little super glue to super glue up these cuts because they were, they were burning. And 
As I was trying to get the tube out, I didn't realize it was broken and super glue leaked like all into my hands. <sighs> and I had like large splotches of sticky super glue like all over my hands yesterday. And I, I got it nowhere useful. My cuts are still like exposed and hurting and yeah, anyway. So I have like hard spots on my hands right now and just picking super glue off. Oh. It's good times. But at least I, uh, it's at least it's not molasses. At least it's not molasses. That that is a, oh man, and I'm like thinking too, ooh, when that shit dries, that's like it's like wax. Yeah. It's gonna rip all the hair off your body. Yeah. It's gonna hurt. Yeah. Yeah. I've already ripped some off. It it pulls a couple hairs with it, yeah. Just a couple hairs. I mean, luckily, it's my hands. I don't have, like, gorilla hands or anything, so. Oh, no. <laughs> I was talking about the people who got stuck in the molasses. Oh, the molasses. Yeah, like, when that stuff dries. Oh, and you pull- gosh, yeah. they You had baby, baby soft, smooth skin walking around Boston for a while. Yeah, imagine getting stuck in that and then go, oh, my God, if it, like, caught onto your hair and as you're, like, coming oh. out, it's just ripping it off. Oh. Okay. Changing the name from Brazilian wax to a Boston wax. Oh. <laughs> Boston wax is the full body. <laughs> Eyebrows and everything. Oh. I kind of like that. I think I'm going to use that one. Gosh. That's the name of the oh. episode now. Boston, Boston wax, wax job. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right, it is, it is lunchtime for me. I think I am heading out of here. Yep, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go sit outside and then soak up the sun. Yeah, it's beautiful out. It's beautiful. Um, all right, well, make sure you stay six feet away from people. Uh, make sure you avoid molasses tidal waves. Uh, make sure if you are a vampire, keep it to yourself. Yep. Make sure you follow us at SP Weird World on Instagram and Facebook. You can follow me at Greg's Weird World. You can follow Anya at Anya Daniela. Hey oh. Hey oh. As I said last time, make sure you check out All D20, amazing podcast. You can follow them at All D20. Uh, their their <laughs> Instagram is really cool. They got a lot of funny memes and stuff. If you like just like funny memes, it's a good Instagram to follow. Yeah, you don't much, even have to really know much about D&D to no, enjoy their yeah, memes. Yeah, much better than our Instagram. Yeah. But anyhow, <laughs> um, one more thing, guys. One more. Go ahead and keep <laughs> it weird <laughs> and morbid. Weird. Weird. I never knew anything like that in the whole of my life. <laughs> <laughs> nice.